You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton, 34-year police veteran and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thanks so much for joining me again today. This is going to be a somewhat different broadcast because we're doing, we're doing something a little different, and that is that in addition to the audio portion of this, we are, uh, we're videotaping this so that it can be posted on Facebook and other social media platforms. So this is actually the first time that I have done uh, this show in a video format. So if it's a little rough, I think you guys can understand it and and forgive me. Uh, For the uh, viewing audience, I want to say that uh, I'm wearing my Relentless Defender Wounded Blue shirt so you can take a look at it and see how cool it is because if you want your very own, you have to go to thewoundedblue.org and go to the shop and get your very own. And uh, there's a few others out there. And, of course, everything that is that is sold on the Wounded Blue shop goes to help injured and disabled officers. So um, for those of you that are watching this, I hope you dig this shirt. I know I do. And Relentless Defender, uh, if, in case you, you don't know Relentless Defender, um, they are an amazing uh, company. And the owner is a, a retired cop, and they do incredible things for the law enforcement community. So a big shout-out to Relentless Defender and Aaron Slater down there. There is always something to talk about here at uh, Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. And, and of course, um, I'm going to start off today's show a little differently than I do on other shows, and that is I'm going to dedicate this show. I'm dedicating this show because we are coming upon um, this week is an anniversary. It's not a good anniversary. It's a very sad anniversary. It is the the five-year anniversary of uh, one of the worst massacres of police officers in this nation. Of course, it was in Dallas on June 7th, excuse me, July 7th, uh, 2016 when um, a gunman uh, who was an advocate and follower of Black Lives Matter um, appeared at a rally where law enforcement officers in Dallas were uh, protecting the marchers, and uh, uh, five officers were targeted by this, um, by this, murdering, um, this murdering scumbag, and... He managed to kill five. So I'm going to I'm going to read the names of the officers who lost their lives that day. Uh, this is a um, a very sad day for law enforcement, and unfortunately, this massacre um, on ideological grounds it was a harbinger of things to come, as we are seeing today in the incredible violence against law enforcement officers. Um, most of the victims were shot during the protests. At least one during a shootout. Four Dallas police officers and one uh, Dallas area rapid transit officer. The officers killed were as follows. Dallas Police Department Senior Corporal Lauren Ahrens, age 48, who had been with the department since 2002, formerly had served with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Dallas Police Department Officer Michael Kroll, 40, who had been with the department since 2003. 
Dallas police officer, um, Sergeant Michael Smith, age 55, a former Army Ranger, been with the department since 1989. Dart officer Brent Thompson, former enlisted Marine, who had been with the department since 2007. Thompson was the first Dart officer to be killed in the line of duty since the department's inception. And department, uh, Dallas Police Department Officer uh, Patricio Patrick uh, Zamaripa, 32, a former Navy sailor and Iraq War veteran who had been with the department since 2010. This was the deadliest single attack on law enforcement officers in the United States since the September 11th attacks, surpassing two 2009 shootings at Lakewood, Washington and Oakland, California, where four officers were killed in each of those. So to the audience, I want to just say that we're going to dedicate this show to those officers and, um, and unfortunately, the many who have come after as well. Uh, let's talk about the incredible surge in violence towards law enforcement. It is, um, it is something that is very per- pervasive. And um, just this year alone, uh, we've lost... 159 law enforcement officers to line of duty deaths. Now, of course, not all those were murders, but many, many were. And in fact, the ambush um, killings of police officers are up 90%. That's that's a that's a frightening that's a frightening uh, statistic. The the attacks on law enforcement officers shootings are almost daily. Um, attacks on law enforcement officers from other means as well. For instance, just a couple days ago, two Milwaukee police officers were attacked um, with commercial fireworks. They were um, literally, they were bombed by uh, um, a a group of people uh, who are still at large, have not been arrested. And the officers were injured and taken to the hospital where they are recovering. But the brazenness of the attacks is something that is really unprecedented. Um, the uh, number of officers who have been um, shot is is incredible. So we've got you know we've got the we've got the murders of law enforcement officers. But you know even though in the 70s the numbers of officers who were killed were much higher, the reason is not because of the lack of people trying to kill the cops. It's because of differences in technology and medicine. The um, you know m- most officers now are wearing protective body armor, which uh, saves a lot of lives. It also, the, the, um, the use of tourniquets and the, the, the uh, availability of those tourniquets and also the uh, advances in trauma medicine are saving a lot of lives that would have been fatal. So if you look at if you look at the violence, you look at, at the total violence, the the gunshots, the uh, knifings, the stabbings, the uh, um, attacks with bricks and and other objects, especially during uh, protests and unrest, um, it, it's um, it's making the the job far more dangerous than it has ever been before. Now those are the physical injuries. I want to talk more now about the psychological injuries that are taking place all over America uh, to law enforcement officers. 
As I mentioned at the very beginning of the broadcast, and, and those of you who follow the show know that I founded an organization called the Wounded Blue. Um, we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. And we provide peer support for officers who have been injured in the line of duty, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological. And that's a really important um, topic here because the number of officers who are facing um, post-traumatic stress injury is is just going through the roof. You know, the let, let's look at what's happening in the policing world right now. You have you have um, the war on cops, and I, I think maybe I need to talk about the war on cops. I'm going. You know, everything that I'm talking about today. Um, is is all um, concerned with with the law enforcement community. So these topics are all part of one another, actually. So the the uh, war on cops is far more than just a physical war. Of course, we're talking about the number of officers who were killed, the number of officers who were ambushed, the number of officers who who uh, have faced serious injury, whether those injuries are physical or emotional. So we are seeing um, a physical war on cops, absolutely. But the war on cops is far more insidious than just that. For the war on cops encompasses um, a political war, and and very often the the very politicians who are lawmakers are part of the war on cops, and that is that is something that is uh, is truly insidious and and has a dramatic effect on the morale of law enforcement officers across the United States. So you have you have the the political war, you have the sociological war. Um, social media is is now played probably the most significant significant role in um, in the uh, future of law enforcement than ever before. What what goes on social media now can literally uh, take the life of a cop and and create criminality on on levels that we've never seen before. Um, so we have the, the sociological. Then you have all of the um, all of the, the the groups that have now formed that um, are claiming to be social justice groups, which really relate to um, a, a, a far more, um, uh, let's say, selfish reasoning than uh, true social justice. It's uh, ideological, uh, it's, that's part of the ideological war that we are facing in this country. So you have the political, you have the sociological, you have the physical. Then you have the media war on, on cops. And if you think that doesn't exist, let me tell you a quick story. I was, uh, for those of you who follow me, you, you know that I do a lot of, of national media. I'm, I'm a, a regular commentator on Fox News, on, um, on Newsmax, and I've been on just, you know, HLN. I've been on a lot of different a lot of different national media um, outlets. Well, it, in fact, it was right after this Dallas police massacre that I was contacted by CNN, and they arranged to do an interview about the events of, of, of the massacre. 
And I was thinking to myself, okay, finally, maybe CNN really, they want the truth, so they're, they're reaching out to me. And just before the interview the, the, the next day, because they, they call you and, you know, the interview is scheduled very quickly, usually the next day. I had something happen that I've never happened, never happened before or since, and that is the producer actually gave me the questions and asked me how I was going to answer the questions. And uh, I wasn't smart enough to figure out that this was that this this was part of their MO because if they didn't get the answers that they wanted, which they didn't, then they canceled the interview. It's never happened to me before. So if you think that censorship is not is not taking place in the mainstream media, then you're only deluding yourself. It very much is part of part of the process now. So you have mainstream media who has who has taken up the mantle of social justice. Uh, you, know, you know, they call themselves warriors. I have a different name, but I'm not going to say that name. Um, social justice uh, uh, activists. How about that? How about we call them activists? Um, and the, and they have become basically the um, the the voice for for these activists. And 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 so when violent encounters are taking place, um, use of force incidents, shootings by police, there is this misinformation and disinformation that is literally being put out by like propaganda against law enforcement. Now, the, I think probably the 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 watershed moment for this exist existed um, at the, the the moment of the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson. That was the moment when when things really really um, changed for law enforcement, and and we saw the fiction of the narrative uh, literally become. Um, the mantra of mainstream media I am referring to, of course, hands up, don't shoot. We all know now that that never actually happened. It was made up. It was a, it was a fake. It was a phony. And yet, you will still see public figures, uh, politicians, sports figures, uh, celebrities um, still pretending that it actually happened. Because the facts don't matter anymore. The facts don't matter. It is, l listen to the narrative. And, and the mainstream media is, is unfortunately part of the narrative. It's no longer about uh, journalistic truth. It's about a political narrative and the um, false narrative of institutionalized police racism and that, uh, that the police are hunting down uh, black men in order to kill them, and it's 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 the narrative that that the political left is um, is pushing out, and unfortunately, with the media uh, clearly on their side, uh, this is when I so when I refer to the war on cops, I'm I'm talking about the whole picture. I'm talking about um, the the enemies within. You're even seeing. Um, the administrations of cities, like, I mean, I could go, I, let me just read off a list, right? Portland, um, Seattle, Minneapolis, New York, L.A., these major cities, Baltimore, St. Louis, are now embracing a completely anti-law enforcement ideology. 
And and when you have when you have the the people in power, the quote political leaders in power, who have the ability to actually change the laws and create laws that are that are negative against the police, that that punish the police, then you have the recipe for disaster, which is exactly what we're seeing across America. When I talk about the war on cops, there is a strategy that the political left is very engaged in. I call it the triple D strategy. And I, yes, and I do apologize to, to uh, the, uh, the television show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. It's not your triple D. Um, I love your show, by the way. That's a, I can, is that a plug? No, we can't do that. So the, um, for the triple D strategy of the left is defund the police, demoralize the police, dehumanize the police. And now I'm going to add another one, decriminalize everything. So if you decriminalize theft, as they have done basically in California, then you see the headlines like the ones that are coming out today about um, a Target and Walmart um, either closing their stores in San Francisco or limiting the hours because they, they are decriminalizing that. Um, <clears throat> Berkeley has basically decriminalized by policy um, uh, traffic offenses, uh, a whole litany of traffic offenses. So has um, a number of other cities. Chicago is is a perfect example. Okay, um, what did we see? Uh, 150 shootings or 90 shootings in just just uh, over the Fourth of July weekend. And what is what does Chicago do? They issue a new policy forbidding the police to to pursue um, criminals. It's madness. This is all part of the war on cops. The triple D strategy has been has proven to be more effective than I ever could have believed. Think of this. Who would have believed five years ago that someone saying, hey, let's let's defund the police. In fact, let's get rid of the police entirely. People would would have looked at that person and go, "Are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? You're you're nuts. That it's a lunatic fringe." Well, it's actually happening in a lot of different places, and now you have you have Congress people and and senators who are buying into this madness. Defund the police. Well, what sort of the, what are the results of that? I think we can see that. Um, pretty clearly now the, what the results of defunding the police. So you, you have now. I also want you to go back in in time just to, just a few years because this has not been. This is fairly recent history. Once again, the watershed moment. Michael Brown's um, justifiable killing uh, in Ferguson was was the moment where a perfectly legitimate use of force was turned um, uh, politically to demoralize the police. To def- this, that was the first beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, 
I'm gonna I, I'm gonna tell you straight out, um, the Black Lives Matter movement is 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 really winning. I, I mean, I never ever would have thought that a a um, movement that actively didn't even hide the fact that they were a socialist Marxist movement that that asked to completely dismantle the law enforcement system in America to free all the 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 open the doors to all the prisons to um, uh, basically um, end policing as we know it I, I never would have thought that a a group that came out with that type of of rhetoric that type of of absolutely um madness oriented policy could ever be taken seriously and yet in just these few few short years look at at the success that they have had and then you you have you have this group this movement so to speak um being funded by the very companies that are being that are seeing uh, this massive victimization of lawlessness across the United States I'm I, st- I, sh- I shake my head and I can't even I still can't understand it and yet they have been effective look at what now when they first came out with the let's dismantle policing the the the, the idea of it is so absurd on its face that um, that I, I, I just cringed and, and I kind of chuckled to myself, yeah, okay, this one's not going to last long. And yet it's, it's, um, it's taken on a life of its own. It, it's become so effective that even though logistically and, and um, uh, statutorily no one is, is ending police departments, it has become de facto the truth. Now, what do I mean when I say that? All right, let's look at what policing was five years ago and what it is today. Five years ago, if, if there was a job announcement in Los Angeles or San Diego or St. Louis or Las Vegas, and there was a job announcement that there were openings for law enforcement officers, uh, you had droves of people who were lining up to try and get those jobs. Now, when I became a police officer um, for the second time in Las Vegas, the, the national average was 5,000 um, 5, applicants uh, for, for, um, for 50 positions. So do the math on that one. You know, people were literally lining up to try and get a police job. And, and you know, a lot of that, well, it's because people wanted to be cops. The, the salaries of cops around the country varies so dramatically. It's hard to say that, you know, anybody does this for the money or though, you know, if you're in some, in some places on the northeast part of the United States, you know, the salaries are pretty damn good or, or in some places in California. But for the most part, the average cop makes about $50,000 a year. You're, you're, we're not talking a lot of money here. So why did people, why did they line up to try and become cops, and I can tell you that it was because it it it, it it's a calling. You you want to you want to become a cop because you want to play a role that is positive in your communities. Um, and and there, there's you know the uh, 
the fact that that there is a um, there's a, a a brotherhood, a camaraderie that 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 is is part of the is part of the the career choice, very similar to the military. Um, those were attracting a lot of people, a lot of really good candidates. And as a result, police agencies could be very picky about who they hired. Um, I think the the average was at that point one in in every 50 or so applicants could actually even pass a background exam. No, th think of that. So, you know, you, you go and you want to become a cop and you may, you got to pass the physical, you got to pass the psychological exam. That threw out a whole bunch of people right there. Then the backgrounds investigation, the polygraph investigations, the most have, those threw a lot of folks out because police agencies want the best applicants that they can find. And of course, that's about, it's about truthfulness. It's about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about honor. And, and so the, the departments could be rather choosy about who they selected. All right, now let's fast forward to where we are today. I heard something the other day that, that I guess it stunned me. It shouldn't at this point, but it did. And that is that when St. Louis announced uh, um, that they were going to be hiring for police officers. St. Louis is a major city. Not one person showed up. Not one person showed up to do, to try and become a St. Louis cop. Okay, so think about that for a second. In Vegas, which has not seen much of the unrest as, as the rest of the country, the recruiting is down about 57%. When you have, when you have um, an entire profession now that people are just saying, I'm not doing this, then what do police, what do the police do? How do they hire people? Well, they lower the standards. And this is exactly what we don't need at this time in policing history. We don't need lowering the standards because once you do that, then it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy because the people that you're hiring shouldn't be wearing a badge. Now is the time when benefits and, um, and pay should be increased in order to draw better people, the best people. And it's not, it is not what is happening. So even though no... Well, except for Minneapolis, who actually tried to defund the police and dismantle the police. No, no cities are really doing that. But it's becoming the de facto truth because of how effective the anti-police movement has become. Um, you have people leaving in droves. You have retirements uh, that are taking place. Um, at unprecedented levels. You have recruitment down to um, critical, a critical uh, uh, level. And then you have just people saying, you know, it used, to, it used to be that one of the benefits of being a cop was you could retire after 25 years. Now, 25 years being a cop, that's a long freaking time, I got to tell you. You're, by the end of 25 years, even in smaller communities, you're beat up. You've been, you've been wearing a gun belt for 25 years. Your back is screwed up. You, you, your hips are messed up. 
Um, you've been working shift work. Your your uh, your 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 diet has not been a, appropriate for for a long life. Um, so your 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 body is taken. It's taken its toll on you. But at least after 25 years, you could get a pension and you could and you could lend live your life. Well, that's not the, that's not the case anymore. Many of the the police cities have decided that they're going to raise the the number of years you have to serve, sometimes 30. Uh, 30 years as a cop, believe me, your, your effectiveness level um, physically uh, is, is, is diminished. Your, your health has, has deteriorated. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing cops who just say, you know what, I got three or four years on the job, and... I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not putting my, I'm not putting my own life in in jeopardy. Um, I'm not going to risk my my family's life. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc, and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. It's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together, and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. Okay, this is a perfect time for me to tell you about a product. Uh, this is a, 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 someone who, who is a sponsor of, of this program. And th- this is a perfect time because um, the, the product that they, that they have is is uh, safeguarding the, the, the um, online history of police officers, law enforcement officers. It's called officerprivacy.com. Now, I was unaware of how, just how easy it is to find people on the internet. 
there are literally search engines that will find where you live, find uh, all kinds of personal information about you. Well, what Officer Privacy does, and it's run by a, a retired cop who had a, a, a great deal of, of uh, um, experience in, in this world, um, it, it finds all those search engines and removes your information. Now, I know for a fact, because I, I get this fairly frequently, I get information on, on cops who've been doxxed, where they literally, um, protesters show up at their house. So if you're, if you're an active duty law enforcement, this is something you really want to take a look at, officerprivacy.com. Check it out. Um, it's, the costs are minimal. And, you know, it's something where you want to safeguard yourself and your family. So check that out. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. So these, these officers who are, um, who are looking now and saying, you know, I got three years on the job, I'm not going to do this for another 22, 23 years. And so they're leaving. And, and now we have um, it, what is, in essence, um, a, a number of police officers who are just saying, the hell with it. So although um, the, social, the social justice activists who, who were screaming for the defunding and the dismantling of the police um, really aren't getting their wishes uh, as they wanted to, but we're seeing the results anyway that they that they truly truly wanted, and um, and those that are, and those officers who are staying um, are 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 literally pulling back their efforts, and that's something else that I really want to talk about because it's critically important to understand what is happening in this country. It's even got a name, depolicing. And some people call it the Ferguson effect. Um, but depolicing is when law enforcement officers don't proactively go out and fight crime. 
Now, what does that mean when I say proactive policing? I'm going to give you a little history lesson about, about policing. Um, as you know, I spent 34 years as a cop. And we would judge ourselves, we would judge those that we worked with on the quality of their policing. That is, were they go-getters? Did they make a lot of car stops? Did they make a lot of arrests? Did they, did they actively engage in the community? And that's how we, that's, it was proactive policing. That's how you police. That's how um, uh, New York became the safest big city in the country back in the 90s uh, when, when uh, Giuliani and, uh, and Bill Bratton was there and Bernie Carrick um, because they actively policed. And that, that, was, that was how you, you – internally, we looked at, at our, our fellow workers – and we'd say, that guy's a good cop. Why? Because he worked. Because he was effective. And, and you know, the, the, more, every, the more cars you stop for whatever reason that you stop them, or the more people that you in, engage with, that, and you do it as long as you can do it legally, that's where you find people who are armed. That's where you find the dope. That's where you find the fugitives. That's where you find the criminality. And that's why, uh, you know, as urban hunters is how we refer to ourselves, you, you combat criminality. You, you know, cops become cops because they want to make their communities safer. Well, how do you do that? Law enforcement officers are just that, law enforcement officers. Now, that, that term is now taken on an entire meaning, and somehow it's been turned around by by the political left and by a lot of politicians and a lot of quote leaders unquote in the in the um, um, administrations, even in administrations of police agencies, I've seen this, where they turn it around as if as if that that that's something negative. Being an aggressive police officer, that's what the hell you want. And and to those chiefs who uh, who have um, now taken on the the mantle of of um, you know, let's let's change the trajectory of police officers and let's let's become nurturers. Well, there are times for that. Absolutely. Listen, in order to be a, an effective cop, in order to be a good cop, then you have to have a, a, a besides having a great deal of courage, you you have to have a great deal of commitment to your community. But you also have to possess amazing compassion and understanding and being willing to, um, to grow uh, within yourself in order to continue to grow as a police officer. That's all part of being a good cop. And, and so, you know, there are times that, it's, that, that, that your compassion is essential part of the job. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen the most incredible acts of compassion and empathy uh, from coworkers and, and from other cops that I've dealt with over the years to fill volumes. And, and you, you generally never, ever hear of them. You, 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 hear, you hear only of the events that the media want you to hear about, and that's the negativity. And yet, you know, the, the, one of the reasons that I found policing um, such a, 
uh, um, a, a, an incredible career was because of the good that I could do. And that's why most cops do what they do. But now it's being taken away from them. The very concepts that we looked at as, as being a positive part of being a police officer are now being viewed by um, the powers that be. When I say that, I'm talking about uh, a lot of political leaders, uh, Congress people, senators, uh, even, I mean, the, the, the negative stuff I've heard from even the president and the vice president um, concerning law enforcement officers, uh, it's very demeaning to the profession, very, very demeaning. And the reality is that the, the, the more that the cops step back from doing the job, the more that they have to protect themselves in, in, in such a way because of the political environment, then who suffers? It's the community that suffers. The very communities that these officers are, are, are literally putting their lives on, to, on, the, on the line to protect. So who's the loser here? It's the, it's the, it's the, the people that the police serve. So, you know, what we're, what we're seeing in this new revolution of, of anti-law enforcement rhetoric and the narrative is destroying the public safety in, in so many ways. Now, I'm going to get into some headlines here now because I think, I, I think I've set the record um, about, about uh, uh, you know, what my thoughts are on... Um, on the law enforcement front, as far as social activism and and the uh, uh, the false narratives that that law enforcement are facing, so let let's look at a couple of of the the ramifications of all of these changes. So here is a, a headline: Pharmacy giant Walgreens has closed its tenth store in the San Francisco area, prompting residents to blame rampant shoplifting. Um, caused by the city's soft-on-crime policies. The store is set to permanently shut its doors. Um, the move has drawn an online petition against the closure, which accrued over 200 signatures at the time of publishing. And um, the, uh, the reality is that um, not, only, not only Walgreens, but now Target has also announced that they are either closing their stores or they are limiting the hours. Why? Why is this taking place? Well, let's talk about it. First of all, let's talk about the weirdnesses of California because, because unfortunately it plays a role. Um, propositions have been put before, before the public that they have embraced and they have voted for. And the the propositions that they have voted for have severely limited the, um, the penalties for, for committing crimes. For instance, shoplifting. You know, you just, the term shoplifting is, is very innocuous. Oh, you know, and you picture in your mind, somebody goes in and, and, and you know, pops a mouthful of grapes, that's shoplifting. They steal some makeup and they stick it in their pocket, that's shoplifting. Well, the, the frequency of shoplifting in, in California was to the point where um, state legislature 
um, really, really passed a fast one on to the uh, to the public. In they called it a public safety bill. I forget what the hell they called it, but it was something innocuous and uh, and and completely misleading. But what it did was it basically decriminalized shoplifting. It it raised the the um, limit from two hundred fifty dollars to five hundred dollars, and then now it's nine hundred. I believe it's nine hundred and fifty dollars a day, a day that is a misdemeanor crime. So you can go in to the Target and steal $950 worth of stuff every single day, and it's just a misdemeanor. You get a ticket for it, and adios. Think of that. 950 bucks a day. So you can go into Target and steal 950 bucks a day worth of stuff, and then go next door to Walmart and steal another $950 of stuff, and it's a misdemeanor. It's basically, it's basically a, a, a ticket if you get prosecuted. Now, let's talk about that because there are now some, there is a, there's a new phenomenon out there. They're called activist prosecutors. Prosecutors who just don't want to prosecute unless they can prosecute a cop. And this is what's happening in, in major cities across the United States as well. We saw... Well, since we're talking about San Francisco for the moment, let's talk about the district attorney over there, Chesa Bowden. Um, when you talk about a Trojan horse uh, being being given the 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 keys to the city, Chesa Bowden is the is one of the most one, a prime example. He was voted into office, and it's it's mind boggling to me that the voters of San Francisco could could look at this guy and say, yeah, he's the guy I want to be in charge of of prosecuting criminals in San Francisco. He is the he's the son of two murderers, two terrorists, literal terrorists, whether underground killers. Both of his parents were convicted murderers. And then while they were serving time in prison, he was being raised by other, uh, well, I don't know if there are former terrorists, um, less active terrorists. So he grew up um, Marxist socialist and completely anti-law enforcement, and he's the one who's now in charge of prosecuting. Well, he's not prosecuting, and he does, he's not making any bones about it. He says he's not prosecuting shoplifters. So, what do you, if, if there's no consequences for actions, then you get the lawlessness that is now happening all over, all over the, the, the California, but most especially in, in San Francisco. So, as this, this rampant crime continues, you're seeing the inevitable results. Companies simply can't afford to be there. They're losing millions of dollars. There was, there was um, a highly publicized event that happened just a day or so ago where um, in Neiman Marcus, which of course is a high-end store in San Francisco, an army of thieves ran in and literally robbed the place blind just loaded up with with 
you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise, and the, and nothing was done. Literally, because of the laws that were passed in California, and the policies of the stores, because they know that there's not going to be a prosecution, their security doesn't do anything anymore. Because if a security guard tries to stop a shoplifter and winds up in a physical altercation and hurts that shoplifter, then the store gets sued. So what have they told their security people to do? I don't even know why they're there. Because they literally are, their, their hands are tied even more than the cops. And if they do call the police, Chesa Bowden isn't going to prosecute them. So why even bother? That's, that's what the stores are saying. We're not, there, there's, there's no recourse for them. It is just be a victim because we believe that there should be this is this is Marxism and socialism at its at its very finest. This is kind of like a uh, what do they call that? Oh yeah, wealth redistribution. Um, so what's happening is, and it, we're not talking about um, um, a homeless guy going in and stealing a bottle of water so he can survive. We're talking about organized criminal gangs who have who of course are seeing the um, millions and millions of dollars in profit with no consequences for their actions. So what they do is they send kids in to the, um, to the stores to steal up to $950 worth of stuff. Then they come out and they hand it to, the, to the, their, their handlers. They get a few bucks for it. And then the, these, these organized crime gangs... Um, then take this merchandise and sell it and, and make millions and millions and millions of dollars. In fact, there's actually open-air markets in San Francisco that sell all the stuff that was just stolen from the store down the street. It's madness, absolute madness. And this is the, this is the complete breakdown of the criminal justice system in a major city. So this is, this is, how, this is how insidious... This entire um, movement, anti-law enforcement movement, has become. Um, it, 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 if, and this, the, the people who live there no longer even bother calling the police when they're victimized. So statistically, it's very interesting. So the statistics go down. Hey, well, look, you know, that nobody's calling the police. So, uh, so there's no crime statistics to, to, to say that all this crime is taking place. Because nobody's bothering to even report it. Um, this is this is um, a, a, an absolute travesty, but this is the reality of life in California now. Um, now let me let me ask you this: Where does this go? At what point? Because this this cannot this simply cannot go on to the point where the these the stores no longer exist. So there's no longer any commercial, um, you know, commercial enterprises. Uh, Drugstores are, are closing because um, of the crime. So that means that people can't get, the elderly can't get their, their prescriptions. Um, this, is, this is a breakdown of society. And the political left, um, 
seems to embrace this. The politicians who are running San Francisco are doing absolutely nothing to, um, to change things. The San Francisco Police Department, um, they're losing people right and left. And the morale there, as in every other police department in the country, is, is in the toilet. So you've, you've got, you've got um, this completely ineffective laws and methodologies of enforcing the laws. And what are, what are, the, what are the people do? What, now, if, if Chesa Bowden is reelected, I'm going to wash my hands of San Francisco and, and say to the voters, you know what? I think there's an expression that people get the government they deserve. Well, if you're going to vote Chesa Bowden back in, uh, you get exactly what you deserve. Uh, the same thing with the, with the, the your, your city leaders. You know, um, this uh, this uh, I, I do want to tell you about another um, another sponsor of this show, and that is Thin Blue Line Benefits. You know, when I retired from the police department, I lost my health care, and it, and it cost me it cost me over a thousand dollars a month to get health care for me, for myself, and. Um, I could, if, if thinbluelinebenefits.com had been around then, I could have saved myself literally more than $50,000 over the years. Um, they are an incredible company. Um, uh, part of the ownership is law enforcement. <clears throat> and they have, they have uh, a benefits program that, that, that can literally allow a police officer to, um, to be safely to have their health care taken care of at a, at a reasonable price. What I was paying $1,000 a month for would, would have cost me less than $400. So this is, and I know people, um, I, I, know, I have friends who I have told about that were able to retire so they, they could afford their health care. So check that out, thinbluelinebenefits.com. And, you know, before we run out of time, um, I want to tell you about the Wounded Blue, and, and what it is that this great organization does. The men and women of this organization are all injured and disabled police officers. Everybody's been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up and screwed over, and yet they want to continue to serve their fellow officers. And so we provide peer support for those men and women who have been injured, either physically or psychologically, and that's really important to know, that psychological injuries are very, very real. Post-traumatic stress injury can be as real as a bullet. So if you are a law enforcement officer or have been, and you're struggling with either the physical or emotional injuries, contact the Wounded Blue. It's thewoundedblue.org, thewoundedblue.org. Um, we have a tremendous documentary film on, uh, on Amazon.com called The Wounded Blue. And, and, a, and a, um, I urge you to take a look at that because you will be shocked at the way injured and disabled officers are treated by the very cities that they have sacrificed so much for. So if you want to know more, go to thewoundedblue.org. And if you are a law enforcement officer, October 28th through the 30th, in Las Vegas, the Law Enforcement Survival Summit, designed to save lives. The finest presenters in the country are coming to Las Vegas to do this event. It's, uh, it's going to be amazing. Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, who wrote Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Dave and Betsy Smith, 
um, who, uh, who have been saving lives of cops for years with their physical and um, mental survival techniques. Um, it, it's something that uh, if you're a cop and you only have one conference to go to this year, this is the one you want to go to. So if you go to thewoundedblue.org and you look at events, check it out. This is life-saving stuff. If you want to help the Wounded Blue, if you want to become a sponsor of the Wounded Blue, um, go to the, uh, the woundedblue.org and just fill out a contact slip. Okay, so we're about running out of time. This, uh, this hour went by really, really quick. Um, I hope that you enjoyed it. And if uh, you're uh, watching this on Facebook, um, please leave your comments. I want to I know what you thought because this is the first time that we've actually put this on, on Facebook in this format. So thanks again. This is Randy Sutton, and uh, stay safe.